It's so good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I was thinking, Brother Lyle's talking about loving Pentecost. You know, Pentecost is the only thing that could get my attention and keep it. It's the only thing. A lot of things in this world that were vying for Larry Booker, and he got involved in a bunch of folly and craziness. And I had doctors try to help me, and lawyers try to help me, and counselors try to help me, and school teachers try to help me, and police officers try to help, literally try to help me. Some of them tried to kill me, didn't blame them. Uh, but nothing could help me but what we got right here. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that had the power to get the job done. And that's because it's the only thing God ever gave that had the power to get the job done. And he's not changed it. He's not changed it. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hallelujah. So I thank God. And, and so this is always a special meeting, but this being the 60th year anniversary and having some of these precious, precious elders among us that, that have carried this torch all these decades, that's awesome. That, that's, that's breathtaking. That's breathtaking. I have a man in our church that he's 70 plus years old. He has been in our church since he was five years of age. And, and when his mom and dad, they got the Holy Ghost in a Trinity church up in Northern California. And they moved down. And, and you could see before they put in Highway 10 and you could see the old, old church house from where they were living at that time and uh, the mama said we need to go to that church there and the dad said yeah we get settled we'll do it well two months came and went nobody got there they hadn't got there yet one Saturday morning a knock came on the door and a man was outside the door he said I've come to talk to you about that church that's where you're supposed to be going to church and he said really so he said come on in talk they fed him breakfast they talked well, Jim, he said, he said, I was a five-year-old boy watching all this. They were talking about the things of God. He said, after about 45 minutes, the man said, do you have a bathroom? He said, well, we got, we got a house out back. And, and his dad, old Pappy Bryson, took him out there. He was really enjoying talking to this man, showed him into the outhouse. And he stood out there and he was waiting for him to come out and keep talking about the Lord. He waited five minutes. He waited ten minutes. He waited 15 minutes. Finally, he said, <clears throat> You all right? Hey. He's thinking, Oh, no. Hey, you all right? Hey. He's thinking, That guy's died in there or something. And, and, the, and the door's locked. I have to tear this. And he opened the door, and there was nobody there. Nobody there. Amen. He said, never saw that man again. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He's not changed. And I, and I just, I have a hard time with people messing up Pentecost. Because, man, it don't get better than what God's got. Amen. Amen, amen. I'm asking if you would to turn with me to the book of First Samuel, chapter number 5. God bless Brother Lyles and Brother Morgan, this, this very wonderful invitation and meeting and all the precious saints of God. And there's a wonderful host of ministers that's here, tremendous representation and tremendous men and women of God. And I just count it a real signal honor to be here. And uh, to feel the Lord, I feel like He's gonna feel like He's gonna help us tonight in Jesus' name. I'm gonna begin reading at verse one of First Samuel, chapter number five. Oh, it's good to see Brother Coon. Brother Coon just had eye surgery. I know he's I'm stealing his thunder because he's gonna tell you about it. Crawford Coon don't need glasses no more except to read. Now, that's a trip, ain't it? That's a deal. Well, 50 years. And come here to celebrate. Praise God. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Amen. It just, he come walking up to the car when I was parked out there. I said he looks different, but I couldn't put my finger on it. That's what it is. Well, God bless him. Hallelujah. Okay. Enough fooling around. Verse 1, and the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon. And both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon, nor any that come unto Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And the men of Ashdod saw that it was so. They said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us, and upon Dagon, our God. What do you say we pray together? And let's ask that God would indeed talk to us tonight. Lord Jesus, we are so mindful of you. We're asking, Lord, that you, our great, gracious, mighty, holy God, would touch us, each and every one of us, Quicken us by your spirit. Quicken us by your word. Give us, God, your understanding. God, lighten our paths, our minds, our hearts, our lives. And, oh, God, minister graciously to us 
that you can minister graciously and powerfully through us. In Jesus' name we pray and commit this service and God this meeting into your hands. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated and thank you, thank you, thank you for standing in your patience. Praise God. Now, this text that we have read is is not unfamiliar territory uh, for the people of God. If you are relatively new to the Lord, it might be uh, unfamiliar, but just to make sure that uh, everybody's pretty much on the same page. I'm going to give you a little bit of the backdrop of our text. And uh, we know that a certain judgment had been long time coming upon the house of Eli and uh, upon his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, because of their unmitigated vileness, their total disregard of God. They didn't even know the Lord. Here they were priests of the Lord, and had they not died, amen, along with their father at the same day, when he had died, one of those two boys would have become the high priest of the Lord, and that, you just shudder to think of that, because Eli wasn't much, but they were less. And, 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 and so they were warned of God through prophets, they were warned of God, amen, through a young man by the name of Samuel being raised up under their noses, a powerful man of God. And, uh, and so finally a day came. And can I tell you, the day always comes. If you live for God and are faithful to God, the day comes. We will get our gracious reward, amen. If you do not live for God and you go your own forward way, the day comes. Amen. The rewards will be doled out to us. I want to be on the right side. Can you say amen? And in the process of a great battle when they were losing it, finally someone got the bright idea. Let's go to the tabernacle of the Lord. Let's go past the holy place. Let's go into the holy of holies. And let's fetch hither the ark of the covenant that the high priest only saw one time a year. And, and Hophni and Phinehas thought that's a good idea. They were so profane. And so when they brought out the ark of the Lord, Israel begins to shout, and it's such a, it, it, it was such a bold, brazen, unprecedented step for Israel to bring the ark of God out of its holy, holy resting place to a field of battle that even the Philistines were shocked. That's something when people get so stupid, even the heathen get shocked at it. Amen. But it's happening. And, uh, and, and, they, and they said, whoa, never a day has happened like this. And then in an interesting verse, we're not going to pull it up here, but when they're, when they're trembling in their boots and thinking, oh no, here's the Ark of the Covenant and what are we going to do? There is just a verse. It doesn't say who gave the verse. It doesn't say who's speaking. But it says, basically, come on, Philistines, quit you like men. Rise up and fight. And they did it. 
We don't know if it was some bold, brazen Philistine. We don't know if it was a prophet of God. We don't know if the Lord just quickened it to some heathen Philistine's heart. At any rate, whether the ark is there or not, God said today, my people fixing to get a good whooping. And they did. And that day, not only was Israel destroyed, Hophni and Phinehas slain, but the Bible says the ark of God was taken. And when Eli heard that Hophni was dead, when Eli heard that Phinehas was dead, amen, that didn't seem to knock him off his perch. Now, no doubt it hurt. But when the same voice said, and the ark of the covenant is taken, it's in the hands of the Philistines, it, it blew him away so bad, he fell off his seat backward and broke his neck. The ark of God. When Phinehas' wife was in the process of giving birth at that horrid occasion, and she hears, that not that her husband's dead, but that the ark of God is taken. She took, she realized, you know, people come and go and, 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 and wretched, rancid husbands, and he was a wretched, rancid husband, and all Israel knew how vile he was, and she certainly knew how vile he was, amen, but, and, and so, but still, you know, husband's a husband and he's dead, but that is not what got her when she heard the ark of God is taken, she's given travailing, horrid, painful, and death-bringing birth. And she says, call that baby Ichabod. Because the glory of God has departed. And that was her parting words. So this was no small thing. So Israel's defeated. They go home not just licking their wounds, but they are utterly stunned because hitherto, it has never been on this wise. And the Philistines have got the ark of God in their captivity. This is big stuff. I mean, you really got to get the picture here. This is no small potatoes. This is the ark representing to them God, the actual God, amen, that destroyed Egypt, part of the Red Sea, brought the plagues, let them out, amen, over which the pillar of fire, the, the, the cloud by day, the fire by night, led the children of Israel, and now they've got their hands on it. And to their heathenish, uh, very limited knowledge of God credit, they didn't just put it somewhere, they decided we will put it in the house of our God, Dagon. So they were bestowing it the highest honor that they knew how to do. I mean, it's like Dagon, no offense, but we don't mean to crowd your, cramp your style, but this is big business. And, and so they put the ark in the house of their God, Dagon. And they go out saying, I hope you don't mind, I guess. And Dagon didn't answer, which I guess means he didn't mind. And so... And so they're all excited. And the Bible says very early the next morning, they want to go in and apparently see how they got along. And they get there. And they got a problem. 
their God is on his face in the dirt. And they're looking at the ark and they're looking at their God. And so they get some guys and they pick their God up and they they put him back where he belongs. Dust him off. So I hope you're okay now. And, and, and word gets out. Something happened there in Dagon's house. And, and the people, ah, oh, that can't be true. Oh. And so the next day, they're probably up a little bit earlier, and they come back. Now they really got problems. Because Dagon is back on his face, but the problem is his face is over here. And his hands over here, and his hands are over there. And there's just a stump of Dagon left. There's no buzz saw around. There's no, it's just there. I mean, and so it ain't going to do him no good to put him back up and rest his head on his shoulders. They just, so they pick up the pieces of their God and they take him out. I wonder what they did with that. Did they bury him? Did they have a funeral? But we do know this, that somebody somewhere, be it stone or tree or something, they said, well, we have to, we got to remake Dagon. Okay. And so they start carving it out, cuddling, cutting it out, whittling it out, even chiseling it out, whatever it's made out of, and they get there. They're, they're God back together again. And they pick him up. And they carry him. And they put him back. But they said, we can't keep him in here with this ark. Because we also got problems. Amen. Besides Dagon going to pieces on us. Uh, the land, the Bible says, was overrun with mice. Mice were everywhere. Now, for you women folk, one mouse probably do them fine. But you let the land be overrun with them scuzzy little creatures. That's not cussing, is it? I don't think it is. They they say things in California that I don't know if they apropos out here or not. But anyway, these sorry little outfits were everywhere. And, but that wasn't, that wasn't all the problems. God had smitten them, apparently hard and heavy, with emeralds. And if you wonder what that is, it's what it sounds like. So, they said, now, we got mice. We got problems. And we got a new God, but we can't put him back with this God. And we got it, and the priest said, You better wise up and get it out of here. So they sent it off to an owner of the other of the five major cities of the Philistines, and they said, We don't want it here. We heard how he beat up Dagon, chopped him to pieces, and 
your problems, and we don't need that. And so finally the priest said, well, we need to find out if this is a God thing or not. And so put it on a brand new cart, get two milk cows that have never had a yoke on them before in their entire existence, which means they're not prone to like it and not know what to do with it. Furthermore, there's not somebody sitting on a seat, amen, with a whip and reins showing them what they're supposed to do. There's, there's two cows, amen, with yokes. There's nobody pulling the reins, nobody gouging them. They're just there. And to add to all of that, they're milk kind, they're milk cows, and they've got their babies, their calves, pinned up over yonder here. And the calves are crying, and the mamas are crying. They want to feed the babies. They may need to feed the babies. And, and they got this yoke on them, and they got this cart behind them. They've never done this before in their life. And there's this strange, enigmatic box on the cart with these two huge golden cherubims with wings touching and looking at each other. And, and it's quite the affair. And, and the Philistine priests say, if that cart ends up back with those calves, then we'll know this is just our lot in life. It's just stuff that happens. But if that cart goes on back to Beth Shemesh, towards Israel, then we're going to know this is a for real God thing. And they all knew it was, but they just hoped. And then here went the cattle, lowing as they went, crying as they went, straight up over hill, over dale, down the dusty trail to Beth Shemesh. And the men said, goodbye. And Dagon couldn't talk, couldn't hear, couldn't say goodbye or hello. But if he could feel anything, he's probably pretty relieved too. Now, but there's obviously something really, really wrong with this picture. If it seems to me if I was one of those Philistines and I'm looking at those calves and I'm looking at those cows and I'm looking at that car and I'm looking at that ark and I'm looking back at the house of Dagon and I'm looking at the mice scurrying around and everybody else, their problem. I would, seems like somebody somewhere would say there's something wrong with this picture. If our God has got no more power than that, if He can't even protect Himself, how's He going to protect us? If He can't pick Himself up off the ground, how's He going to pick us up? If If He can't stop the mice and the emeralds from eating us alive, then what am I doing here? It seems to me that when that 
ark took off. There should have been people saying, hey, wait for me. I, 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 no, 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 no. I'm a, it, it, why would I want to stay back there with that kind of a sorry God that can't even keep himself together, let alone me? Hey, brother, I'm going with the glory. Hallelujah. I'm going to go where the presence is. I'm going to go where the power is. I'm going to go where the answers are. I'm going to go where the strength is. There is something wrong with that picture. But they stayed there and they watched it go with great relief. Hence the title of what I want to talk about tonight. I want to, I want to talk about the subject, the blindness and obstinacy of idolatry. The blindness... And the stubbornness, the obstinacy of idolatry. How blinding it can be and how deeply settled it can get in on a people. This isn't, of course, the only case. I mean, the grand scale example of all is when Moses came back to Egypt after a 40-year departure. Coming back from the backside of a desert where God had met him, amen, in the burning bush experience and spoke to him and talked to him, sent him back, meets his brother Aaron on the way and come in and stand before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? I don't know God. Why should I obey him? Well, that's one thing to say at once. It's another thing to say it after the first plague. And it's another thing to say it after the second plague. But to still be talking that way after ten plagues that has left your nation in utter shambles. Something wrong with that picture. The blindness and the, the stubbornness of, of idolatry. And with Egypt in shambles, after the frogs, after the locusts, after the moraine on the cattle, after the water into blood, after the boils on their bodies, after the hailstones mingled with fire, amen, after all that takes place, after the death of the firstborn, when the children of Israel were heading out and the people of Egypt were heaping upon them their jewels and gold and silver, saying, get out of here. And the Bible does say there was a mixed multitude that went with them. There were people that were there that probably... And we know from the narrative that is given us in Exodus and in Numbers and in Deuteronomy that this mixed multitude did not follow Moses out of any real deep devotion, devotion, devotion to Jehovah God. They probably just hated Egypt and hated the Egyptians. But... They were obviously, for the great vast majority, not devoted to God. Even the children of Israel struggled even with being devoted to God. But when that host leaves, here they go. You're an Egyptian. Your firstborn's dead. Your cattle are gone. The hailstones have destroyed your crops. Amen. But they just picked up on what the locusts left. 
Amen. There's been frogs in your bed and frogs in your shoes and frogs in your ovens. There's been flies. There's been all this stuff. It seems to me that when those two to three million Hebrews let out and there's a pillar of fire leading them, any thinking Egyptian would have said, what's wrong with this picture? We worship cattle. Literally. Why are our cattle dead? We worship frogs. They had a god, a god called Pitha. P-T-H-A. Pitha. And that was a frog god. And they worshipped it. And so God said, you like frogs? I'll give you frogs. I'll give you frogs till they come out your nostrils. I'll give you frogs. Amen. And, and they worshipped the river Nile. You like the river Nile? I'm going to turn it into blood on you. And, and they worship the forces of the sun. I mean, a minute the fourth even got converted after Moses come through the land and said, there's one God, but it's the sun. So God said, well, you people hung up on the sun. I'm going to turn it dark. It'll be dark, third part of the day. So dark, you can't even find your way. This is why a man, Moses' father-in-law, rejoiced when he heard the report given him by Moses, he said, now I know that Jehovah God is the God of gods because he defeated that in which they dealt proudly. They were proud of all of their gods. And God said, I'm going to show you the one true God. So again, it seems like when they headed out, there should have been some Egyptians that said, why stay here in this disheveled mess when the glory of Almighty God is leading the people out to a destiny? Hallelujah. But the obstinacy and the blindness of idolatry can be mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. What sets in on people and the things, amen, that they learn to live with rather than say, God, for me and my house, we're going to follow you. Hallelujah. When you go to Isaiah 44, which, which you're not, and, and let me back up just a second here before we get there. How blinding it can be, how how unbelievable it can be. We can see even in the hearts of Israel when, when Moses says, people stand back beyond these boundaries because God is going to speak to us from yonder mountain. And don't let a ox, don't let a beast, don't let a man, don't let a woman, nobody come beyond this boundary. Amen. And so the people stand there. And then all of a sudden, off Mount Sinai, there comes a darkness, a thick, thick darkness that becomes lightened up. Amen. With lightning and unbelievable thunder. And if they thought the lightning was a show, and if they thought the thunder was something, then the earth begins to shake beneath their feet. And while they're seeing all of this take place, then a sound that surprised. Everything beyond that is a, I am the Lord thy God, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. And now they're, oh, 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 oh. 
We can't take the voice. That's a, that's a bad God. That's a, woo, dude. Egypt never had anything like that. We were there 400 years in the midst of all that idolatry. Never was there anything like that. You go talk to that God. And whatever he tells you to do, you'll do it. So he goes up to the mount. He's gone 40 days. And he comes back. And Joshua's with him, picks him up apparently halfway down the mountain. And Joshua says, I hear something down there. It's not the voice of mastery. It's not the cry of a, a victorious people. Nor is it the cry of a people that are crying out for help from God. It's, it's just singing. It's just, it's just singing going on down there. It's just, and when they get down there, and of course God's already clued Moses in with a statement that they've corrupted themselves. They've already gone after other gods. And he comes down and there is the people. And in the midst of that swarm, there is, and, 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 and 3,000, if not all of them, are, are naked and dancing around a golden calf that Aaron has formed by their wishes, saying, as for this man Moses, we wish not what has become of him. Make us a god! And so the most popular god in Egypt was this calf god. And so he forms this, this, this sightless, deaf, motionless. They had just seen a god, a man whose mere presence would shake the earth, the lightnings, the thunder, the voice, so that Moses himself exceedingly quaked. And yet 40 days later, they're dancing naked around a golden calf that cannot see and cannot hear and cannot answer one single prayer. And I know a lot of this is not new to many, but listen. Why would somebody trade away the glory of the incorruptible God? For a God made like unto some earthly creature that even a live calf that can see and hear can't do nothing for you except provide you a little food one time. But one that's made out of gold, you can't even eat it. Why would somebody leave the glory of a God like that for a sightless death? Motionless, non-moving, touching, golden calf. Why would anybody do that? Well, here's clue number one. Golden calves don't make any demands. A golden calf don't care how you live, sir. A golden calf don't care how you dress. A golden calf don't care how you speak. A golden calf don't care where you go, what you watch, what you do. A golden calf don't care about it. Amen. And they decided, rather than have the glory of God, give us a God that makes no demands. 
I'm talking about the blindness and the obstinacy of idolatry. A blinding, unbelievable force that can so grip hearts that it's mind-boggling. Amazing. So that God, amen, later in the book of Isaiah, he speaks about it in the 44th chapter. And, and it would all be good reading, but he talks about people who have formed a God or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing. People made it. Talks about the smith working with the tongs, amen, and working with the coals, fashioning it with a hammer, using the strength of his arm, and the man getting hungry in the process. Here's a man getting weary, becoming faint, because he's not drinking any water, because he's working around the kiln, he's working hard, he's got the tongs, he's got the fire, he's got the coals, he's got the metal, and he's making a God. And he gets wore out making a God. Now God created everything we got around here in seven days. And when he rested on the seventh day, it was not because he was tired. You can rest assured. He was not tired. He spoke it all into existence. He, can I use the phrase? He broke no sweat. But types and shadows are very important to God. And if I rest from my labors, I want you to learn how to rest from yours. Even when you get into the dispensation of grace. And realize there's a God that works through you. There's a God that will produce. There's a God that will give you strength. There's a God, hallelujah. You can lean on Him. You can trust in Him. You can seek Him and watch Him move. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You may as well mark it down. I don't know how much we're ever going to get done by our labors, but we're laborers together with God. Paul said, it's not me, but Christ in me. Hallelujah. The life that I live, I pay. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Amen. So this business of making a God is so strange. He says the carpenter in making a God stretches out the rule. He gets a ruler. He marks it with a line. He fits it with a plane. Amen. He, he, he marks it off with a compass. He makes it after the figure of a man. And in the process, he's hewn down a cedar. He's got to cut down a tree. It's a lot of work to make a God. Amen. And then when he gets done, he takes some of the wood and he cooks with it. He warms himself with the same stuff that he made a God out of. He bakes bread with the same stuff he made a God out of. He's eating bread cooked by wood, amen, that he'll turn around and worship the same wood. Because he made it. None of this makes sense. But idolatry never makes sense. And it's stubborn. And it's very, 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 very blind. And so now he's warmed by a fire. And he's eating bread by a fire. And the residue... Of what's left over, he's made a God out of it. A graven image out of it. And then he falls down to that with his tired, wore out body from making that God and saith, 
Deliver me, for thou art my God. I mean, when you stop, brothers and sisters, and really start thinking of the blindness of the idolatry, it's unbelievable. Which is one reason America's in bad shape tonight. You, you hear me? You hear, there's a reason the evangelical world is on the collapse. There's a reason America is on the ropes and the rest of the world with it. Amen. God help the nation who forgets God. Hell will be their portion. And we have created as a nation and as a people so many things that they worship. 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 They've worshipped the almighty dollar for centuries now. Now, the starlets and the harlots, the pretty boys, the people with faces like angels and morals of alley cats. And that's become their gods. And on and on and on. They cannot deliver. They cannot help. They cannot set free. But I'm going to tell you something. And as I stated when I first got up here, amen, I remember worshiping the gods of drugs and the gods of alcohol and the gods of rock music and the gods of that lifestyle. Amen. But it left me more empty every day that I lived. But I had doctors try to help me and lawyers try to help me and policemen and counselors and my mom and dad and everybody else. Nobody could help Larry Booker. He was caught up in a whirlwind of this God to that God to this God to that God. But can I tell you, there was a day when Almighty Jehovah God paid him a visit and said, I am your answer. I'm what you're looking for. If you'll worship me and love me, if you'll follow me, I'll make you what you'll never be on your own. And can I tell you the greatest thing that ever happened to Larry Booker was when our one true great God and Savior Jesus Christ paid me a visit. And the day I finally said yes. And what a difference. What a difference it makes when you walk with that God. The joy, the peace, the grace, the power, the righteousness. But idolatry is blinding. It's amazing. I read of a man by the name of Jeroboam who was a mighty man in cadre of Solomon's officers. And Solomon apparently continually promoted him because he saw he was industrious and he was one of those can-do peoples. As Solomon slid off into his world of idolatry, his multiple wives, amen, turning his heart away from the one true God to where before it's over, he has slipped into such deep idolatry that in the sacred city of David, his father, he's got idols in his gardens that he falls down and worships. And that once unbelievably great, powerful, wise man Solomon 
becomes a prematurely old cynic, skeptic, satiated tyrant, amen, that can't see truth anymore when it's hitting him in the face. And about that time, an old prophet named Ahijah, he comes, maybe not all that old, he comes to this man, Jeroboam, and he takes his garment, amen, his cloak, he rips it into 10, 12 pieces. He says, pick up 10 of them. He picks up 10, and he says, you will be king over 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Word gets back to Solomon. I'm sure Ahijah didn't go around bragging about it, so Jeroboam must have. And so Ahijah's in trouble, and Jeroboam has to flee down into Egypt. Years go by, Solomon dies, Rehoboam, his son, comes on the scene. Jeroboam comes back. We know the story. Rehoboam is a fool. And, and, and he says, if you thought my father's, uh, if you thought he chastised you with whips, you ain't seen nothing, you wait till I get through with you and my scorpions. And if you thought, amen, his, his, his little finger, my loins will be thicker than his little finger. My little finger will be thicker, excuse me, than his loins. You ain't never seen a king till you see me. And the people, and they said, well, see to your own house, David. We ain't got time for this. And they make Jeroboam king. And we know what Jeroboam does. He thinks about the grandeur of the temple. And he thinks about the sacrifices that they're commanded. Amen. And the tracks that they're supposed to make. Amen. Those three, four times a year. And so, he says, they'll go back down there and they'll leave me. And so in his insecurity, he made up two gods. Golden calves again. Puts one in Dan. Puts one in Beersheba. Says, these be thy gods. And then he makes up the lowest, most common people, priests. Anybody can buy their way into the office. They're offering up anything and everything they can. It's idolatry to the max. And years go by, and his boy gets sick. And apparently, he was the only son Jeroboam had that was worth the powder to blow away. And he was a good boy. And he got sick now to death. And Jeroboam says to his wife, get out of those queenly robes. Dress down, sis. Feign yourself to be another woman. There's an old man now, a prophet named Ahijah. He's the one that prophesied over me that I would be the king of this northern kingdom. You go to him. Act. Just tell him you got a boy that's sick. Don't tell him who you are. He'll tell you if he's going to live or die. She goes to his house. Before she comes in, the Lord speaks to Ahijah and said, it's Jeroboam's wife. He has a word for her. She comes in. By now, Ahijah's blind. He couldn't see her if he wanted to. He could only recognize her through the Spirit. And he said, oh, thou Jeroboam's wife, I raised him up, and this is what he's done. He's gone into idolatry. So your boy is going to die. And then you talk about putting a woman between a rock and a hard place. When you go home and your foot 
touches the threshold of your house, your boy's going to die. Where do you go from there? She could have. She probably would have went to Tahiti and said, My feet will never touch the threshold. But he's my boy. And he's sick. I can't leave him, but I can't go to him. And maybe he's wrong. And And in her torment, she goes, And I can just. And she steps on the threshold. And as soon as she does with her next step, she's hearing a wail come up in the palace. And Jeroboam says, I can only guess what he told you. You ain't heard the half of it. You would think the man would get rid of those idols. You would think this is his boy, the only one worth shooting. You would think he would tear him down. You would think he would repent in sackcloth and ashes. You would think he would say, Israel, I've made a huge mistake. But the blindness and the obstinacy of idolatry is something else. Amen. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm moving into these waters slow, but I don't want to leave nobody behind. Late, years and years later, it's bad in the northern kingdom. There they are. And, and now they've got a new God on the scene. It's Baal. And now they got a, there's a new king named Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And never did a man sell himself to do wickedness in the eyes of the Lord as did Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, which did stir him up. And so a prophet of God said, it ain't going to rain. Till I say, three and a half years later, the whole land was dry as dried parchment. Ahab hears from Obadiah, uh, from Obadiah, I found Elijah. Elijah says, get up to Carmel. They go up there. Get all your prophets together. He gets the 450 prophets of Baal together. He says, come on, Israel. If Jehovah is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. How long are you going to hold between two opinions? And he said, put you up an altar. Kill the oxen. Get it ready. And if God answers Baal, if Baal answers those prophets, then say Baal is God. So them 450 prophets, they're out there in the morning. And it's, whoopity-doo-dah, whoopity-day. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Oh, Baal, oh, Baal. That carries on to about 10 o'clock. Elijah got a smirk on his face. Oh, zippity doo da, zippity day. Now they're crawling up on there about noontime. They're jumping, oh, bail. He says, get louder. Maybe your God's on vacation. Oh, bail. Get louder. Maybe he's asleep. And then it gets along about towards evening time. By now they've got stones and they're cutting themselves. They're bleeding everywhere. Oh, and in, I'm not being a smart aleck, but in the Hebrew Masoretic text, I'm going to tell you how the prophet, he went for the juggler. He said, get louder. Maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. In the Masoretic text, that's what it says. And those, those, oh, 
And they sit down panning. They're bleeding. And Israel's watching. And then Elijah says, 12 stones, please. 12 oxen. 12 barrels of water. We're in a drought. Get them. They drench it. He comes and stands and utters a 64-word prayer. And the fire of God falls. It burns up the oxen. It burns up the stones. It licks up every drop of water. And when the fire goes, there ain't nothing left. There is Baal's work. There's the 450 bloody prophets. There's the glory of God. And Elijah said, and the people fall on their face. The Lord is God. The Lord. Well, it's about time, brother. Blindness and the obstinacy of idolatry. It was a short-lived repentance, and it wasn't really very deep. How sad. But I am going to make something a statement here. Some people caught it. Rahab the harlot said. For me and my house, we went out of here. We ain't going to die like dogs with all these people. No, no, we believe the one true God. And he said, you put that scarlet cord around this house, and you better get everybody you can inside that scarlet cord, because when the judgment day comes, the only thing going to be saved is whatever's inside this house. Can I tell you, moms and dads, get the scarlet cord of the blood of Jesus. Wrap it nice and tight around your house. Do your best to keep your babies there. Young people, children, your parents aren't hemming you in. They're putting you in the safest place in the entire world. I got a word for you, brother. There are heathens out there that are waking up and smelling the coffee. There may be the world stuck in idolatry. There may be Pentecostals that are going off into it. But I'm going to tell you, there's some people out in the world that are saying, we're sick of this. We've had it. We don't can't take it anymore. And as for me and my house, we want to serve the Lord. Rahab the harlot woke up and smelled the coffee and she said, I'll live for God if nobody else wants to. And Atei the Gittite said, David, count me in. And you get to noticing, even in David's mighty men, how many of those people were Hittites, Gittites, Hivites, that said, we've had enough of this powerless, sick world. David, show us the way. Amen. Teach us about the one true God. Amen. I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a good word for us tonight. I'm here to tell you, there are people that are hungry out there. There are people. 
that have just about had it up to here. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that right now, I want to see the hands of everybody in this house that before you came to this one God, Jesus name, apostolic truth, you were in some kind of a denominational church of some kind. Raise your hands. Hold them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Look out there. Look out, look out there. Look around, brothers and sisters. These were people that were in dead, dull, lifeless, pitiful, wretched places. And they said, we can't take it anymore. Lead us to the one true God. We want to feel the glory. We want to feel the power. We want to feel the might. We want to feel the majesty. And I got news. There's a whole lot more out there. smell the coffee and say this don't seem to be working it's just not it's just not flying and what blows my mind is the Ahazes and Manassas that say well I just come back from Damascus and boy did they have a nifty altar up there at Damascus and the brazen altar that held literally around 21,000 gallons of water. Standing on those 12 backs of those brazen oxen. He takes that out and brings in some, sorry, little Piccadilly outfit from Damascus. And, and says... This is our new altar. And Manasseh, who carries on with putting a God up on every street corner in Jerusalem. And all during the reigns of Manasseh and his son Ahaz, Israel is going down, down, down down. It's, it's fracturing. It's crumbling. It's, it's not holding together. It's, it's pitiful. And, and, and there, we'll bring in some more gods. Get some men out and use some more gods. Break sweat. Cut down the tree. Chisel it out. Get the tongs. We'll get more gods. And the more gods they got, the more pitiful Judah and Jerusalem became. It just didn't work. 
Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. It still don't work. And we can dance around it all we want to, but I'm going to tell you something. It ain't working, brother. I'm, 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 I'm watching people. You can say, oh, Booker, you're getting too plain now. I think it's time we better get plain. Doesn't mean you got a bad spirit. Doesn't mean you're ugly. But I live where it's happening. Who doesn't? But you want to go to and say, Sir, Sir, stop and think with me. The strobe lights and the smoke machines are not working. It, it's not working. You're not getting out what you thought you were going to get. You're getting something, but it's not what you want. Like a, a man that just came to my church about eight months ago. And he said, can I, can I come to church here? And I said, why do you want to come to church here? I had met the man. 25 years ago. He said, I came to God in the early 70s. He said, when I came to God, the disco scene was on. That was it. It was the strobe lights and the dancing. And he said, Brother Booker, I, I looked around the other day. He said, when I was in the world... It was ill-clad women and strobe lights and smoke-filled rooms. And he said, I looked around the other day, and there was the strobe lights, and the rooms were filled with smoke, and the ill-clad girls. And he said, the only thing you need now, boy, is a beer in front of you and a cigarette. And he said, if I stayed, that's where I'd end up. And I, I can't afford that. I can't go back. I got to go forward. And you want to say, sir, it's not working. It's not working. Brothers and sisters, we know what works. If it's working, don't change it. If it's working, hang in there, baby. If it's working, you keep loving God and trusting God and preaching the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's going to be all right. And I'm just going to throw this in. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on, but I'm just going to throw this in. Have you ever noticed? Or just yesterday, I went into the, I went into the hospital, went to go in the ICU unit of a man. I, I can't count the times over the past five years he's come to church. His family's in church. He's, he's a brother of a lady in our church. His name's Alfred. I love Alfred. Alfred's got a drinking problem. Alfred's got a cussing problem. Alfred's got a lifestyle problem. He loves me. He loves me. And he really does like our church. He's had family members try to get him to go to other churches. He said, I ain't going nowhere else. He said, when I'm serious about God, that's where I'm going. Can I, 
Can I say something here and not sound like bragging, please? Please. It's just, it's just neat what God will do. It's just neat what God will do. By the mercies of God, brethren, we have not changed. You just preached in our church. It has not changed. I'm just telling you. And here a few months ago, we got a, a phone call. And, and it was somebody saying, there is a, a, a poll, a citywide poll that is being, going out to the inhabitants of Rialto where they're looking to find out from the populace the best restaurants, the best dealerships, the best, the best uh, businesses, uh, the best restaurants, the best churches. And your church from the populace of the city has come up in the top five of the city, and we want to know if you want to buy a plaque to commemorate that. Well, that's like getting a letter. Hi, I'm from, I'm from Nigeria, and my husband just left me $18 million, and I want to give it to you if you just come and get it, you know. You don't get excited. Now, some people do, but you don't get excited about those kinds of things. So, so you know, we, we heard that and say, that's fine. We appreciate that, but no thanks. Because we just thought it was another scam. Okay? Well, Joel calls me here about two months ago. And he says, yeah, you ain't going to believe it. And he names this boy, this boy and his wife. Joel taught him Bible studies, warned him to God. And, and I wish I could tell you that they were in church about a year. And then they had problems. And he's not in church now. He's, he's out there smoking, drinking, carrying on. It's not good. And, and but he called up Joel. And, and he said, Joel, Joel, man, hey, buddy, you ain't going to believe this. Oh, our church is on the news. Now, our church didn't know this. Because our church don't watch TV. He said, but I'm here, man. And me and my buddies, I, I watch the TV, man. And he said, do you know what our church did? And Joel said, what? He said, the city of Rialto, they voted it the best church in Rialto. We got number one, Baba. That's a dream. We don't advertise on television. We don't do the smoke fire. We just preach the gospel. We try to be good to people. We canvas our cities. We talk to them about Jesus. Amen. We'll, we'll have a tent revival. We'll invite. We'll saturate. The, we'll do everything we know how to reach them. But we won't compromise this message or holiness. And it's pretty interesting to me. That that city said, we think you're the best church in the city. And we're not a mega church like some down the street. But I'm going to tell you, the world knows. The world knows. The world does know. I got some girls in our church right now. You know why they come to our church? They, they, they came a couple of services. And then they said, we'd like to talk to you. So Don said, now, I'm going to ask you a question. Why, when you preach, 
a shirt and a tie jacket. I said, why? Yeah. Why don't you have a turtleneck on? Why don't you, why don't you got a sweater on? Why aren't you casual? I said, I just think that the ministry needs to have a certain decorum. And church needs to be church. And, and we just, this is the way we do and feel good about it. Amen. Amen. And, and, and they said, well, that's good. We're not, we like that. That's part of the reason we're here. Now, these are girls in their 20s. They said, how do you do communion? I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go. I said, like, what do you mean? Well, like, what do you do? I said, we have fruit of the vine. We have unleavened bread. You mean like, like grape juice? Well, we'll squeeze our own. We don't, not always, though. Not always. I mean, if we're in a pinch, we'll, we'll go buy Welch's. You know, whatever you do. But, but said, okay, but you use, like, it, it, it's, 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 it's something that comes from a grape, right? Yeah. And I'm like... I said, why are you asking this? said, because at our church, they've gone to milk and cookies. I said, no, you're not. You're not. They said, yeah, 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 we are. It's milk and cookies, buddy. And said, we just said, no, enough is enough. Is it? Can I tell you, there's people out there. It's starting to come to them, brother. Enough is enough is enough. I don't need that. I don't want that. My life's too short. Maybe not everybody's going to follow the glory cloud, but I've got a word for us tonight. There are people that are sick and tired of the denominal world, and they want out of it, and they don't know where to go. And I read that same article. And when I read it, I said, this is our day. Amen. Did you ever notice in Revelation 18 and 4, God said, come out of her, my people, that you be not partaker of her plagues. You say, how can it be his people if they're involved in the great harlot and their daughters? Same way Paul said to, the Lord said to Paul when he was in Corinth, I have much people in this city. They didn't look like God's people. They didn't dress like God's people. They were Corinthians. But God knew who they were. And God knew who where they were. And he said, Paul, no man will sit on thee to hurt thee. You keep preaching this gospel. You keep preaching to these Corinthians that they live right. They, don't you let them run down the road of fornication. Don't you let them run down the road, amen, of, of making a mockery, amen, of, of, of the Lord's Supper. Don't you. You correct those Corinthians because I've got much people in this city. And I'm sorry. I just do not believe that the church is going to come in like a lion and go out like a whimpering kitty cat. 
And I don't know when the Lord... Now, okay. I vote for pre-trib rapture. That's my vote. I don't know if God's taking votes. But if he is, that's what I vote for. I vote for that. I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. But that's what I vote for. But I'm going to tell you something. Whatever he's going to do, we better hang on for the ride. If he comes next week or he comes next decade, we better hang on for the ride. And I'm going to tell you, he's got people. They're in the harlot and the daughters. And they're not happy. They don't like it that the evangelical world is going to Hades in a handbasket. They don't like words. And I know that there's masses that are swallowing, but there's people. I meet them. They're not happy. They're miserable. I know a man right now. His denominal pastor is telling him, Amen. You don't want to go to that church. Those people are cultish. You don't want to go to that church. They think they're the only ones saved. You don't want to go to that church. He's giving them all this stuff. And the man told his ex-pastor, he said, Sir, he said, I'm going to tell you, all I know is that when I go there, I feel God. All I know is that when I go there, I hear preaching, no offense, but like I ain't heard. All I know is that since I've been going there in my feeble little efforts, I've been making some prayers and God is answering me. So you come too late. I'm here to tell you, I'm going and I ain't turning back. I'm not going back for anybody. Come on, brothers and sisters. There are people that are saying enough is enough and we're going to move on after God. Okay. Okay. Give us hope. Musicians, come. Just, just kind of stand here, but. Wherever you go. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. Brothers and sisters, I make no apologies. I think we're on the threshold of the greatest days the church has ever known. I'm going to tell you, and I know there's a, there is falling away taking, but I know that. I'm very much aware of that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's hungry people out there. There's desirous people out there. I just had a lady start coming to our church. And I said, why do you want to come? Do you really want to know why? I said, of course I want to know. I have to know why. She said, do you see these glasses of mine? I said, yes. She said, when I take them off, I can't even make out your face. She said, I found myself in a church that I loved dearly and deeply and put 25 years of my life in it. And when I go to church... 
in order for me to be able to lift my hands and worship God, I'd have to take off my glasses and put them in my purse so I couldn't see all of the, the cut hair and the makeup and the dresses and lack thereof. This is a sweet woman. She said, I don't want to have to go to church blind in order to go to church. I want to know that God is still real and powerful and mighty and precious. Brothers and sisters, this is our hour. Let's all stand. The United States of America, we've never been down this road before. We've never been, we've been in some bad spots. I remember the 70s. I remember 15% inflation. I remember 19% housing loans. I remember bad days. But we've never been quite where we are right now. There's people under the sound of my voice. You made it through the depression. You remember those days. And the things that's happened. You know, you know what I taught on last night in our midweek Bible study? I taught on Ezekiel 38 and 39. I talked on the battle of Gog and Magog. Now, I don't want to mess up anybody's eschatology. I really don't. I'm, I'm, and I told him, I said, I, I could easily be wrong. Eschatology, prophecy is not my forte. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good at it. The reason is I've studied too much. And the more I study, the more confused I get. But I'm not. But I'm, I'm just of the, I'm, I'm leaning to it. And I told him, I said, I looked through a glass darkly. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, if it don't work this way, I told him, I said, I don't care. I would not be surprised, but what? 38-39 Battle of Gog and Magog is different than the Battle of Armageddon. Because the Battle of Gog and Magog, the victory is won for Israel on the mountains. Armageddon is fought in the Valley of Megiddo. And it names the nations and the peoples that come down in 38-39. Zechariah and Revelation, it speaks of all nations. And there's, there's just several other reasons. I don't know if it's going to be that way or not, but I just, but I, but I taught about that. Because I'm going to tell you what. I believe God's looking down on this world. And the eye of the Lord still goes to and fro throughout the whole earth. Seeking for people whose hearts are perfect towards Him that He can show Himself strong in their back. And I do read of 144,000 in Israel. And I do read of a number without number of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. And he's going to have them. You hear me? Just had a friend of mine. They went on a trip to Israel. 